Hello, and welcome to the Totally Clinical podcast, brought to you by Techro. Totally Clinical is a deep dive into the freshest trends, big time challenges, and most excellent triumphs of clinical trials. I'm Hannah, your host. Join me as I chat with industry experts, trailblazers, thought leaders, and most importantly, the people benefiting from clinical research. So tune in, settle back, and don't touch that dial. It's time to get totally clinical. This week, we have a very special podcast guest, Roman Fischuk, an ENT doctor and principal investigator who works for a clinical trials unit based in Ivano Frankivsk, a city located in Western Ukraine. Roman updates us on the latest situation on the ground for both the average person and for clinical trials and puts into context the current safety situation in Ukraine. Roman is also a Techro user and explains how Techro helps to address some of the challenges investigators and site staff face in a country suffering from disruption, whether war, natural disasters, or other unforeseen situations. Welcome to the podcast, Roman. Can you start by explaining what the situation is right now on the ground across the country in Ukraine? It is quite challenging. In some areas, it's more challenging than in the others. We have a full-scale war with Russia right now. The front line is in the east and in the south, but the whole country is affected. And even a few minutes ago, we had an air raid siren here in Ivano-Frankivsk, so we had to go to the shelter. And I'm at the hospital right now, and uh, all the patients, all the employees uh, who can do that, they go to the shelter. Uh, And the hospital created good conditions for the patients who are not able to move around to be in the basement uh, all of the time. So surgical patients, uh, patients from the ICU, they are located in the basement, so they don't have to be moved every time we have an air raid siren. Here we can have up to four air raid sirens a day, Uh, Closer to the front line, people can have it, you know, five, six, up to 10 times a day, even more. I know that the situation really differs depending on the region. In some areas are much more affected than others. Yes, absolutely. So just the recent uh, developments in the war. So Russia has been targeting our uh, uh, power infrastructure, electricity. They used the drones, the missiles, and uh, some of the big power plants were hit including the one in western Ukraine, about 20 miles away from where I work and live. And a lot of places in central Ukraine, eastern, southern Ukraine, they have power cuts, so we had it as well. And uh, according to our president, about 40% of the infrastructure that provides electricity, not only for internal market, but also that we export, because we export a lot of energy, it's been damaged. But our services, the people who maintain all these electricity and power plants, they are doing a really great job in renovating, restoring where they can do that. So again, Ukraine is such a huge country, and I think that's what many people underestimate because in, in Western Ukraine, where I live and work, the situation is much safer than in the in Eastern Ukraine or Southern Ukraine. And here in Western Ukraine and Central Ukraine, where Kiev, the capital is, we are, you know, we have to support our army. We are working. We need to provide medical services to the patients. We want to do clinical research and uh, we need to run the economy so we have the taxes to pay and to help the army win this war as, as soon as possible. A lot of people wouldn't realize that there can be real misconceptions around how different regions are and how life is for the average person in the country. 
Uh, can you explain more about the daily struggles for Ukrainians and things that you used to take for granted that are now really difficult? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, the war has been going on for more than eight months now. And uh, it was really difficult in the beginning, especially once you're used to being so flexible and free in terms of your mobility, your movement around uh, places open 24-7. Now, because of the war, we have a curfew. So in most places, shops, grocery stores, markets, uh, cafes, restaurants, they all have to be closed usually by 9, 10 p.m. because the curfew starts in most places at 11. And because of the electricity outage, you know, it gets really dark and we don't have any city lights in most places after 9 p.m. Uh, even when, when all the attacks on the electrical system were happening, we didn't have any city lights at all in the evening. And But because the number of car accidents increased dramatically by a quarter, by 25 percent, they did, there was a decision to turn the lights on in the cities in the morning and in the evening so people can get home safely or to their to the places where they work. So these are the things we don't even usually notice in our daily life, you know, like light bulbs and just light in our houses were being recommended to use as little as possible things like microwaves or electric kettles or uh, washing machines, ovens. We are asked to use that after the curfew, because then this will decrease the load for the power system, the electrical grid. These are the things where you don't usually appreciate in a daily life, but the things that you do think about and the things you need to consider if the country is at war and uh, your electrical grid, electrical system is under attack. Then especially the winter is coming and uh, we do depend a lot and winters tend to get cold. Sometimes we get minus 20 Celsius in some areas. So we need to heat our houses and apartments. And without electricity, it will be very difficult to do. That's why we try to get the generators to get backup supply of energy and uh, even clothing. Just get the supply of clothing, uh, power banks for the for the cell phones, for the laptops, just to have some like a backup plan if in case electricity goes out. If we talk about more specifically about where you're based in your hospital. Could you describe what you provide for general clinical care and the scope of clinical research at your hospital? So as an ENT doctor, I provide services to patients who have complaints in ear, nose and throat, both adults. I consult adults at the hospital where I work and I examine children, especially do a very specialized tests like auditory brainstem response, auditory steady state responses. I do that at another facility. As an ENT doctor, I provide these services, consultations, uh, different specialized tests, uh, examinations. I used to do surgery, but because of my health issues, I, I had to quit surgical activities. So I focus more on diagnostic techniques and just conventional treatment methods, so like prescribing medications or referring patients to get surgical care in other centers. So yeah, as an ENT doctor, I do that. And the clinical research is a huge part of my work as well. I am the head of the clinical trials unit at the hospital. So I'm responsible for everything in terms of clinical trials at a multi-specialty hospital. So everything from contract, budget negotiations to human resources, uh, planning, finding clinical trials, daily management of clinical trials, conducting patient visits, communicating with sponsors, CROs, regulatory submissions, ethics committee submissions, uh, so pretty much everything. And how many patients are still coming into the hospital? How many are you seeing each day? As an ENT doctor, 
I do see that less patients are coming to the hospital uh, for consultations. And that, that was caused by, you know, sometimes by the fear of the patients to come to the hospital. It's not very convenient for them because when they come to the hospital and there is an air raid siren, we stop working, we can't see patients because we all have to go to the shelter. If the condition is not that critical, they try to do some sort of a telehealth. So they would call you on the phone or they can use different messengers or applications on their phones to get the consultation remotely. When the condition is severe and they feel really bad, then they come to the hospital and they get admitted to the hospital, do all the tests on a routine day. And an average ENT doctor would consult 15, 20 patients, maybe less. On average, we have about 10, 15 patients at, at the hospital being treated as inpatients. In clinical research, before the war started, we had approximately 200 patients that were participating in clinical trials at the hospital, and they were with different indications. So COVID, inpatients, outpatients, respiratory diseases, rheumatology, cardiovascular conditions, GI conditions, gastrointestinal, I mean, uh, neurology, so different ones, ENT as well. And I'm happy to say that we didn't lose any of our patients after the war started. Only one or two moved to another country, but we managed to follow up most of them. Patients do come to the hospital for routine visits in, in clinical trials. Now, because of the war, most of the sponsors and the CROs, they put all of their recruitment on hold and no new trials are being started. So we're pretty much finishing with the, the trials that we had before the war started. And we still have a few, about 20 patients who are still actively participating in clinical trials uh, at our side. If we move on to your experience in clinical research, how did you come to be an investigator in Ukraine? Well, it's a very interesting. And uh, since I got into medical school, I was uh, really into research. And I started participating in research groups from my first year of medical university. So I started going to international student conferences. The first one was in Berlin, and I went there when I was in the second year of medical university. After that, I noticed that most of the research internationally was done, and many publications were from big, randomized, multi-center clinical trials. And I was wondering what that was, because at that time, I had no idea what a randomized clinical trial is. So I was also a medical research director at the European Medical Students Association. So I got to know more about research. When I finished medical university, I got into internship or residency in ENT. And uh, that's when I found out much more about it. I did a few fellowships abroad at research institutions. And I wanted to, to connect my career with research as well. And probably 2016-17, I approached the hospital director where I work now and offered him to develop clinical trials as the area of the hospital work because they were done randomly, not organized well. So I offered him to do that. And that's what I've been doing since that time. You know, one thing that's interesting that I've learned whilst hosting this podcast and speaking to guests around the world is just how different the approach to clinical trials can be depending on the country. What are the challenges in normal times, so to speak, of running trials in Ukraine? And how do you believe they can be improved? Well, I'm sure that all countries have their own challenges in clinical trials. And some of them are similar, some of them are different. In the last five, six years that I've been involved in clinical research, 
I see that the, one of the things I would like to see improved is just cooperation and communication between the research sites and the and the sponsors CROs because usually most of the misunderstandings we get and uh, most of the things we you know discuss are related to communication so this is quite difficult for us the people we communicate with they change so quickly and so sometimes in a year we can have five different CRAs in one protocol which is not good for us and for the company i think it's it's bad for business because every person comes with his or her own vision on how things should be done and then you know we got into all these discussions why it has to be done this way or the other way so i think the major issue is the, and challenges communication with this with the companies and then there are a lot of issues related to logistics because we see that logistically clinical trials in ukraine could be improved in terms of shipments of lab samples you know some small things that we work with on a daily basis we see that they're done so inefficiently and you know by improving them we could you know first of all save a lot of time and efforts and money for the companies who pay for the trials another issue we face and i think this is quite common for globally is a stereotype and perception of clinical research and clinical trials in the community because i thought that only people in ukraine had this image that you know clinical trials it's like you know the the people are considered to be guinea pigs but you know after going to different international meetings and talking to people from other research sites and industry from other countries this image and this perception stereotype is present globally and this is something that we can improve i think by uh, educating communities and by just spreading more information about what clinical research is how important clinical trials are from our side we did quite a few educational events locally and online just to talk about what clinical trials are how they're done how safety of the patients is preserved in clinical trials how safety is the major concern in clinical trials for everyone both for the sites for the sponsors for the CROs pretty much for every person involved in clinical research yeah so these are the challenges we face every day most of them to be honest i think they are universal globally now you're a techro user which is great could you explain how you came across TechRo and why it appealed to you as an investigator? TechRo is a, one of the <laughs> of the applications that makes our lives as investigators much easier. And that's another one of the challenges that we have. We have to work with so many platforms, so many technologies, so many different software and devices. And it, you know, that if you have 10, 15 different trials in different indications and every company every CRO uses its own you know set of software set of devices in one trial we can work with up to 10 different systems online it can easily confuse you and we're always happy when the companies introduce software or technology that sort of makes things easier for the site and also for the patients the the, the app helps us uh, we have everything in our hands in in our cell phones or tablets and now especially you have a web-based version it is really helpful in our daily work because for example if, we, if a patient comes in and then i need to make sure that i don't miss anything in the visit then i just open my cell phone my smartphone and open the app and then i can check everything to see if i didn't miss anything during the visit and this is very helpful. So instead of going looking for the printed version of the protocol or going to my computer looking for a PDF, I just use my cell phone, which is just in my pocket. So it makes life easier and gives us this flexibility. 
Do you have any examples of how TEPCRO could specifically help investigators and other site staff in Ukraine operate in difficult conditions? It gives us the flexibility. So right now during the war, or even if during a hurricane in you know in Florida or any other disasters that happen all the time globally, you don't always have access to printed resources that you have or you, that you were provided with. For example, now at the hospital, part of the hospital is a military hospital, so we don't have access to some of the facilities, some of the research rooms we were able to use before in uh, clinical trials. We do have some of the materials there. And instead of, you know, going there looking for a site file or a protocol or things that we need for patient visits, I don't have to do that. I just, I can use the app and check everything I need there. A useful thing is that we can see all the newsletters, emails that are related to a study in TechRo as well. I mean, this is not something that you check all the time, but it's uh, useful to have it in the phone instead of looking for it in the email because you just have your specific protocol, you go into the updates and then you can find the document you're looking for. So I think these are like practical things that we appreciate in in the software. So it saves us time, it gives us confidence in that we are doing the right things and that we're not missing anything if we conduct a visit for a patient. Finally, from the outside looking in, there's a perception that the whole of Ukraine is unsafe. And I know you need companies like pharmaceutical companies to come back to areas that are currently stable, like where you're based in Western Ukraine. And what is your advice for leadership in these companies? Thank you for this question. It is a big pain point for me right now, because unfortunately, the companies stopped all of their activities in Ukraine when the war began. And all of the enrollment was stopped. Clinical trials that were already approved by the national regulator and local ethics committees, all of them were put on hold. No new trials are coming into the country, no feasibilities. I can see the risks for the companies, but I can also say that there are places in Ukraine where we can do clinical trials, we can provide high quality data for the companies, and we are really encouraging the companies to come just to resume their work in Ukraine because right now clinical trials are needed here more than ever because that's not only work for us, but that's a very important thing for our patients because you know, if you have a chronic condition like asthma, COPD, or diabetes, you know, this is about quality of life, having less complications. But then for patients with cancer and kidney diseases, those who need dialysis, for some of the patients, access to clinical trials is a matter of their survival. So we do ask the companies and encourage them to resume their work because there are places where you can do it safely. We don't say that you can do it everywhere, but you can be very selective about the places where you conduct clinical trials. And it's always like that. We sort of compete for clinical trials because we want to be the best. So the companies choose us and we do encourage the companies to resume our work because there are actually for certain sites, we can even perform much better than before because of the migration of the population inside of the country. So our city, we had about a quarter of a million population before the war. Now we're almost 400,000. So you can imagine how our recruitment potential increased with all this uh, internal migration. So yeah, we're just asking the companies to come back to Ukraine and uh, resume your work because this is very needed right now here for, for the patients in the first place, but also for the hospitals. It's a huge support and it will help the healthcare system here as well. And again, we are working really hard to be on the same level as other sites globally so we can provide high quality services and 
do the clinical trials in a high quality manner. Wish the war finishes soon, we win this war and we can come back to some sort of normal life. We just want this uh, to finish and uh, continue working in Ukraine and uh, being part of the global community of clinical research. And that's your dose of Totally Clinical. You can download our podcast on Apple, Spotify and Google. Please subscribe and leave a rating and review so more people can find the show. See you on your next visit and remember to bring your friends. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.